Welcome to the first episode of The End Game, Insiders on Your Side, a podcast developed for senior lab executives by senior lab executives. Our intent of creating this podcast is to share valuable industry knowledge, tips, and strategies that when applied and properly executed will help lab executives succeed, thrive, and ultimately become better prepared for your own end game. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melissa Butterworth, and I will be your host of the End Game Podcast. I grew up in the lab industry going all the way back to the late 90s. While I'm an entrepreneur at heart, I started my career in the hospital outreach business in Jacksonville, Florida for the first nine years, followed by a combined seven years working for the larger national laboratories. I am also a prior lab owner myself and the current CEO of Advanced Strategic Partners. We are a lab-specific M&A firm that started in 2008. And unlike our competitors in this space, each member of our team grew up in the laboratory diagnostic sector. I believe that this is one of the key differentiators that sets our team apart. We understand the day-to-day challenges that you as lab executives and owners go through. Now, over the course of the last two years in this new post-COVID world, I think it's safe to say that we've all experienced many changes, and as a result, we've had to quickly pivot and significantly change our own internal strategies. We have experienced this ourselves at Advanced Strategic Partners. For example, we've recently partnered with Take Charge, a corporation owned and operated by the prior CEO of the largest lab in the world with Mr. Gary Huff. In addition, we have partnered with the prior chair and head of mergers and acquisitions for the healthcare division from the prestigious law firm McDonnell Hopkins with Mr. Rick Cooper himself. I am also proud to announce that we've entered into a strategic alliance with Acumen to help better serve hospital systems across the country with a one-stop shop solution when it comes to their laboratory testing needs. Our clients ask for this additional help and expertise, and we listen. In addition, it was you, our respective clients, who asked for this podcast, and I am so excited to have launched this based on your valuable feedback. Now, over the course of the next year, you're going to be hearing from some incredible strategic thought leaders in our space from a wide range of areas, including mergers and acquisitions, operations, legal, sales and marketing, human resources, compliance, billing, regulatory, lab stewardship, and many, many more exciting areas. We have what I consider to be an incredible lineup of guest speakers planned, and you are not going to want to miss any of our future episodes. We will be posting all of our podcasts on our home website at www.advancedstrategicpartners.com. If you happen to be interested in selling your lab or you wish to have a free, non-obligatory 60-minute consultation with myself or members of our team, feel free to reach out to me directly at m18butterworth at advancedstrategicpartners.com or you can always private message me on LinkedIn at Melissa Butterworth. Today, we will be covering a topic that can be extremely sensitive and somewhat complex. However, it is the number one area and the number one question that we seem to hear over and over again by most lab owners. And that question is, what is the value of my laboratory? Since the answer to this question is quite complex and it really contains multiple variables and a much broader understanding of valuation itself, 
We've decided to break this subject down into a four-part series podcast on valuation. Episode number one will focus on the definition of valuation and the five most common valuation methods used. And episode two will focus on the 10 tips to consider when preparing your lab for its sale. Episode three will focus on the seven tips that make a lab more desirable from a buyer's perspective. And episode number four will focus on the differences between an asset and stock transaction and the differences between a strategic and non-strategic buyer and how both the structure and the type of buyer can significantly affect the valuation obtained when taking your lab to the market for its sale. So if you're thinking about selling your company or even a part of your laboratory in the next 12 to 18 months, you are not going to want to miss any of the next four episodes of The End Game. So let's jump right into episode one of our four-part series on valuation. Today, we will be learning about the definition of valuation in addition to the five common valuation methods, and we will hone in on the most commonly used valuation in the laboratory M&A sector. For me, personally, unlocking the mystery of knowing how much to pay for a company was probably at the heart of why I personally became interested in my profession as an M&A advisor. I think it's safe to say that knowing how to value a business is truly at the core of what makes a successful M&A transaction. If you look at the term valuation in simplistic terms, it is essentially the price that one party is willing to pay another for his or her business. And typically the price that someone is willing to pay boils down to what you can successfully negotiate. But if you look at valuation a little deeper and a little further, it's essentially the intersection of cash flow and time combined with the risks associated with your business. The buyer's going to be looking to see how long it's going to take them to recoup their investment, whereas in the seller is going to review how many years worth of profits they're going to have to forego to take their profits today. While cash flow and time can be somewhat self-explanatory, the actual risk associated with your laboratory includes so many detailed factors that should be considered. And we like to tell our clients that you should consider these things at least six to nine months prior to taking your lab to the market. Now, while I'm going to cover some of the more common risks, please be aware that there are many more factors that you're going to need to take into consideration. So let's jump right into some of the more common risks. Buyers are going to be looking at the risks associated with your existing business contracts. This includes contracts with payers. It includes contracts with hospital systems, government contracts, large IPOs, small physician offices. So it basically covers any and all of your business contracts, including those that you have with your um, equipment companies, any sort of reagent contracts. And they're going to be looking to make sure that these contracts are assignable. They're also going to be looking to see what the rates with some of these existing business contracts are. And what we commonly see is we commonly see that they're going to take a look at your specific 
testing modalities and the rates that you have with those testing modalities. And they're going to put those rates up against what they currently have with those potential same insurance carriers or with maybe some of those same clients. And they're going to see if those rates are more favorable or if those rates are less favorable, because this can have an impact on how they look at the value of your business. They're also going to be looking to see if any of those contracts are potentially up for renewal or renegotiations, and they're going to be looking for any sort of risk associated with that. They're also going to be looking to see if any of those contracts that you have are responsible for generating the majority, you know, and when I say majority, we're talking about 60 to 70% of your current revenue. And so they're going to take all of those factors related to your contracts, and they're going to assess the risks of those. They're going to be looking at your current testing modality, and they're going to see if there's any sort of impending fee cuts that are coming up. They're going to look at the regulatory changes related to the specific testing that your laboratory does. Not only are they going to be looking at all of your contracts, they're always going to take a look at the past two to three years worth of sales performance. They're going to take out all of the COVID testing and they're going to see if your baseline book of business has come back to its pre-COVID world uh, valuation. And they're going to look to see if it's in fact growing. They're also going to look to see what your current sales pipeline looks like. And while they're not going to pay you for your projected sales, they are going to look to see that you've got a solid sales pipeline that has been built. Investors are also going to look at the cost of capital. For example, can they deploy their capital into deals that offer a higher return on their investment? Or does your particular laboratory look like it can meet their rate of return uh, criteria. Buyers are also going to be looking at the current economic risks. This is also known as systemic risks, and it's essentially those risks affecting the economy. So if I could summarize, valuation essentially comes down to cash flow and the time of that cash flow in addition to the risk associated with your business. Let's jump right into exploring the five most common business valuation methods. Now, there are a lot of rules of thumb out there for business valuations, but here are the five most common. Number one being multiples of EBITDA, which is essentially known as adjusted EBITDA, and we will talk about that in a few minutes. This is when you value a company by taking the earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, and you review the risk factors against that to determine the likely multiplier. Number two is known as the discounted cash flow analysis, and this is when you value a company by projecting its future cash flows, and then you use what is known as the NPV method, which is net present value method, to value the business. Number three is known as the comparable company analysis. And this is when you evaluate other similar companies' current valuation metrics that are determined by market prices and you apply them to the company that's being valued. Number four is known as the precedent transaction analysis. And this is when you look at the historical prices for 
recently completed M&A transactions, and you get a range so that you can apply that range to your laboratory. And finally, number five is known as the leverage buyout. And this values a company by assuming that the acquisition of the company is going to be through a leverage buyout, which means that a large amount of the borrowed funds will be used for the purchase. Obviously, those funds borrowed are going to require a set rate of return for the purchasing entity. So to summarize, valuation comes down to how much money the business will produce in the future and the risk associated with generating that money. Now, for larger companies, greater effort is placed in modeling the future and then discounting that stream of cash to its present-day dollars. Therefore, larger companies typically use the discounted cash flow method. For small to mid-sized companies of independently held laboratories, the more common method is known as the adjusted EBITDA method. Now, regardless of what valuation method is applied to determine the value of your lab, each is going to require a much more in-depth review of many additional components. Now, today's podcast would be far too long if we analyzed each of the methods we just discussed. Therefore, we're going to focus on applying the more common method for the small to middle market laboratories since that is the majority of our audience today. And that's going to be, once again, the multiples of EBITDA or adjusted EBITDA. Now, let's review once again. Uh, EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And when, I, when we say small to mid-sized laboratories, we're talking about labs that have a $500,000 adjusted EBITDA all the way up to a 15 to $20 million adjusted EBITDA. Now, the term is commonly used to show an investor or buyer of what he or she can expect to earn from their investment. So simply put, EBITDA is a way for an investor to measure the rate of return that they should expect when they purchase a company. Now, the average valuation range is four to six times adjusted EBITDA, with the magic number in the M&A world being five times adjusted EBITDA. For example, a company that has an adjusted EBITDA of $5 million would have a $25 million valuation. However, it's not just about the EBITDA, it's more about having uh, an experienced advisor similar to what we do at Advanced Strategic Partners to help you come up with a true adjusted EBITDA number, which includes subtracting out one-time expenses such as legal fees, severance, and or one-time consulting payments. So let's take a look at some of the possible items owners can adjust and add backs to come up with that adjusted EBITDA number. Other common addbacks we see are owner's benefits and or health insurance. We see life insurance, pension plans, or any other perks such as personal expenses written off as company expenses. We also see, once again, one-time expenses such as moving, legal, or maybe any sort of major one-time repairs. We also commonly see excessive rent expenses that may be paid to a related party. Maybe as a lab owner, you own the building, or maybe one of your family members owns the building and you're paying excessive rent expenses. 
We also see excessive compensation and benefits paid to owners, employees, or maybe even relatives. In addition, we see some excessive travel, automobile payments made to business owners and relatives. We sometimes see special donations or maybe excessive office-related expenses. And we sometimes see bad debt expenses outside of the normal range. Sometimes we see owners taking dividends at the end of the year. And we also see goodwill impairments and asset write-offs. So there's so many things that you should take into consideration that could become potential addbacks so that you can have a adjusted EBITDA number that is more favorable to you, but also that's going to be realistic in the hands of the buyer when they purchase you and post acquisition. Once again, there can be a number of uh, what we call addbacks, and it's really important that you understand and have a complete, thorough view of what some of these addbacks can be. So it's important that you start the process anywhere from three to six months prior to taking your lab to the market. Once you come up with this adjusted EBITDA, your advisor should be able to compare that number to other similar companies across the industry to be able to provide you with a what we call a somewhat expected valuation range. Now, we've seen some M&A firms and sellers get super aggressive when coming up with this, and we like to make sure that uh, we are providing realistic industry expected uh, addbacks and adjustments so that there really are no surprises when you take your company to the market. It isn't a cut and dry formula, and it does take a lot of common sense, but the basic premises of these adjustments is that you are simply trying to estimate what is a buyer going to experience in the future as the new owner. It really is that simple. Now, it can get tricky if you're selling the business to a company that decides to do a straight asset purchase of the seller's client list and or of some of the existing patient service centers. In these cases, it really does take a savvy advisor to help assist in calculating what an expected valuation range may be. For example, we recently had a client that we represented who received multiple LOIs, and when comparing them, the offers varied over 250%. One buyer was valuing the business based on top-line revenue because they were looking to simply acquire the client list and fold it into their existing infrastructure, whereas another buyer based their offer on a multiple of adjusted EBITDA. And having a 250% difference in the valuations received from the market really made a huge impact for this particular seller. Now, this is where having an experienced advisor can pay dividends for you and looking at what your own end game could look like. Now, the valuation multiples of companies grow with size. For example, all things being equal, the multiple for a company with $1 million in earnings will tend to be four to five times EBITDA, while companies over $10 million in earnings will trend toward the seven to eight times adjusted EBITDA. 
In fact, you can typically trend the multiples right up into the large public company arena. Large companies with an EBITDA of more than 20 or 30 million can be valued by comparing them with similar public companies. Smaller companies generally have way too many additional risk factors to be able to estimate the value using this method. Now, I could spend an entire day discussing how businesses are valued, and this podcast would be far too long. So if you're listening to this podcast and are interested in having a high-level discussion, we are more than happy to provide a complimentary 60-minute consultation. You can reach out to me at Melissa Butterworth on LinkedIn or M18 Butterworth at advancedstrategicpartners.com. I know we've covered a lot in today's episode, but this concludes part one of our four-part series surrounding valuation. To summarize the key points from today, valuation boils down to the price one is willing to pay at one point in time. And valuation is simply the intersection of cash flow and time combined with the amount of risk associated with buying your laboratory. Less risks equals greater multiple. The more common valuation methods include multiples of EBITDA or adjusted EBITDA, the discounted cash flow analysis, comparable company analysis, the precedent transaction analysis, and leverage buyout. The most common valuation methods in the small to mid-sized labs are using multiples of adjusted EBITDA. The average multiple used in the M&A adjusted EBITDA world and the lab world is five times. There are many factors to consider when coming up with your adjusted EBITDA number. It's always a smart idea to have an experienced M&A advisor assist your team with this process. They will know what you can and cannot get away with. I sincerely hope that you've gained some tips and increased your knowledge in today's episode of The End Game. If you would like to listen to this podcast again, you can go to our website at www.advancedstrategicpartners.com and click on the podcast tab. I look forward to seeing you in two weeks on our next episode, where we will be discussing 10 things to consider before taking your laboratory to the market. Hope you have a great day. Signing off until our next episode. Mm -hmm.